The first reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses four through 13. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandy. Let's pray. Lord, 
uh, speak to us, we pray, through your word, your holy word, which was written uh, to teach us, to encourage us. Things that were written long ago in the past uh, that, that now can be fresh and, um, and true for us today still. So please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and uh, hearts to obey. In your name, amen. I've been thinking about how the English language doesn't have all the words you need sometimes. Sometimes Meg and I are doing something and we think, there should be a word for this. Like when you start talking to someone over text and then you finish the conversation in person, there should be a word for that because it happens so often. Or, you know, other languages have words for things that English doesn't. Spanish has a word called sobremesa, which means the time after the meal when you sit around the table and drink coffee and chat. Japanese has a word for a certain flavor called umami, which is actually one, a flavor that we don't, that exists that we don't have a word for. It's like the savory, malty, meaty flavor in roasted meat and broth. Umami. This is a good one. German has a word, schadenfreude, schadenfreude which means taking pleasure in other people's misfortune. We should have a word for that, shouldn't we? Unfortunately. Norwegian has a word spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Have you seen that? It's pronounced huga. And it means the cozy, uh, harmonious feeling of well-being and safety. Swahili has a single word, Juzi, which means the day before yesterday. Wouldn't it be nice to have two syllables to say the day before yesterday? Juzi. Anyway, the Bible also has words that English does not have precise translations of. There's a word in Hebrew, shalom. Now, shalom is often translated simply peace in your English Bible. Um, but it means more than that. Because in English, when we think of the word peace, we think of either, you know, a quiet, contented feeling in ourselves or a truce when two warring groups stop killing each other. And while those can be definitions of shalom in the Bible, it goes much further than that. Shalom means like wholeness, health, safety, flourishing. It's kind of the idea of like everything is the way it's supposed to be. Shalom, peace, wholeness. Now, the one thing everyone agrees on right now in our country is that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We don't have shalom. Uh, people on the left point to systemic racism and um, the environmental crisis we're facing and say that's not the way it's supposed to be. People on the right point to cancel culture or, you know, the, the, the rights of the unborn and say this is not the way it's supposed to be. Everyone agrees that the world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We don't have shalom. We can hear in Georgia, Vermont, 
we can sometimes be lulled into this idea that things are, things are great, things are fine. We have a nice, safe, comfortable community. You know, um, we have good schools, we have low taxes, we have good neighbors, we've got stores with food on the shelves, there's no gangs roaming the streets, you know. But if you dig below the surface, we don't have shalom here. There are, you know, right in our community, there are marriages heading for divorce. There are kids not getting the love they need. There are people stuck in addictions and depression and loneliness. Uh, there are people who are one illness or one missed paycheck away from financial ruin. I mean, that's not shalom. That's not shalom. We don't even have shalom in our own hearts and minds. We are often divided or conflicted or tormented, unsettled, broken, guilty. We are not the way we are supposed to be. Can any of you relate to that? Thank you. So Advent is a time to be honest about that, to sit with that reality so we can long for Jesus, the King of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, the one who will make things right. I wonder, as you come in today, is there something in particular that is weighing on you that is not the way it's supposed to be? It could be that person in your family who's, who's cut you off or the pain of a, a difficult relationship or um, some abuse you've suffered that you can't seem to be heal from or something you see going on in the world out there that just gives you such anguish and despair. It might even be something you are doing that you know is wrong but you can't seem to stop. What is it you're bringing today that is not the way it's supposed to be? With that, I want to take those things and look to Jesus because the truth is Jesus is the king who will make things the way they are supposed to be. That is the good news for us today. So based on these four passages that were read, Psalm 72, Isaiah 11, Matthew 3, and Romans 15, um, I want to answer two questions. First, what will King Jesus do to bring shalom? What will he do? And then, what about here and now? You know, these are, these are great. They're distant promises, we think. But what about today and tomorrow, here and now? So let's look at what Jesus first, what King Jesus will do. And we can't look in any great detail at any one of these texts, but we're going to pull out some, some things. So the two Old Testament passages that we read during worship, Psalm 72 and Isaiah 11, are prophecies about this ideal king who will come and bring shalom to the world. He comes, it says, from the line of David, or what Isaiah says is the, the stump of Jesse. Because David, Jesse's son, had a, a dynasty. God had promised David an everlasting dynasty. But over time, the kings in that dynasty became corrupt. They failed. They disobeyed God. And in judgment, the Babylonians came and um, cut down their dynasty like a great tree felled. All that's left is a stump. 
but God will still keep his promise. And out of that stump comes a shoot, the king who is promised, who will bear fruit. This would be the king that the world was waiting for, that Israel was waiting for, and the New Testament identifies that king as Jesus Christ. The king, you know, great David's greater son. So how does he bring shalom to the world? I noticed uh, some key words in both Psalm 72 and Isaiah 11 in their description of his dominion. Listen, Psalm 72, verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. Isaiah eleven three. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Do you, do you kind of see the profile of, of this person, what, what these texts are saying? This king is perfectly good, like in himself, everything is the way it's supposed to be. He's full of integrity, he's full of righteousness, he does justice. You know, because he is so faithful and true and righteous, he is able to bring justice to the world because he is the way he is supposed to be and he has all the power. He can make things the way they are supposed to be. And Jesus must bring justice if there will be shalom. It has to be that way because injustice is when People are not treated fairly. When systems work for some people and not others. When there are oppressed and oppressors. Um, when evil is done without recourse. Um, when you think about the world, who are the kinds of people who often get the short end of the stick of justice? It's the poor. The poor. Who suffers most when there's a war or an environmental catastrophe? The poor. Who are most easily sold into human trafficking? The poor, often children. Who doesn't have money to hire great lawyers to defend themselves when they're unjustly charged with something? The poor. The poor are not served well by the justice systems of this world. But Jesus, look at how... In these passages, it, it, it highlights his work on behalf of the poor. Psalm 72, 4, May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. The most vulnerable population is poor children. May he save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Isaiah 11.4, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. That's good news. Jesus will bring shalom by bringing justice to the people who need it. On December 19th, uh, 1986, a 23-year-old man named Michael Griffin was driving with three friends from Brooklyn to Queens. 
Michael um, Griffin had emigrated to this country from Trinidad, which is an island in the Caribbean. He had dark skin, and the three friends he was with were African-American. Well, the car broke down that night. Uh, one stayed with the car, and Michael and two others walked up ahead to find a payphone. But it was a lot farther than they thought. The, the, they got to the first town. Uh, the first town they came to was called Howard Beach. It was about three miles after they broke down. And they were tired. They were hungry. Uh, but as they got into this town, they were met by some angry neighbors shouting racial slurs at them, telling them to go home. Well, they, they, they found a pizzeria to find shelter in. They went in and had a bite to eat and rested. And when they came back out of the pizzeria, there was a mob of young white men. They were armed with uh, tire irons, baseball bats, tree branches, and in the conflict that followed that, that ensued, uh, this young man, Michael Griffin, ran away, but he ran straight into the road, and a car hit him, and he died. In the days uh, following that attack, protesters convened on that spot by the pizzeria, and they began protesting. And one person in the crowd started chanting, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And that took hold as a rallying cry for protest against racial injustice. Now, the, the fact was that was not some isolated event, some one-off hate crime that happened. It was part of a a long and sad series and history of racially motivated violence uh, in our country. No justice, no peace. You've probably heard that recently in our history. Now, I'm not here today to give a blanket endorsement for any politician or group that has used that phrase, but the fact is, that is a very biblical idea. Jesus would agree, no justice, no peace. No justice, no shalom. There cannot be shalom unless things are made right, unless there is justice. Think about that on the, on the smallest scale possible between two people. If Fred gets mad at Jimmy and punches him in the face and then comes up the next day and says, hey, how's it going? Like everything's fine. Everything's not fine. There's no peace. Things have to be made right. He has to do something about what he did wrong and make restitution and apologize. Things have to be right before they can be good. Does that make sense? <clears throat> One of the reasons that true shalom is so elusive here in this world is that um, people have different views of what justice is. You know, when two of our children happen to be fighting uh, and you ask what happened, you get two different stories. <laughs> and besides that, um, justice can't undo, in this world, justice can't undo the wrongs that were done. Michael uh, Griffin 
you know, his attackers did go to jail. There was justice in that sense, but he wasn't brought back. His parents didn't get him back. This is why we need to remember that Jesus uh, is qualified to bring perfect, complete justice to his world. Anything apart from him is incomplete, but he can bring true justice. That's because as both Psalm and Isaiah proclaim the Psalms, Jesus is full of God's wisdom and God's understanding through his spirit. He can see the whole picture. He can see into human hearts. He, he's not swayed by bribery or hearsay or pressure or favors. He is, he is fully just. He's anointed by the spirit of God. And I love the, the picture we get in Isaiah 11 of the kind of world that issues forth when he brings his, his justice to the earth. The world becomes so safe and harmonious that predators can hang out with their prey. And um, the most weak and vulnerable people, children, have nothing to fear. And then, get this, this is key in verse 10 of Isaiah 11. It says, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all people. The nations will rally to him. The nations, as in people who hate each other and fight against each other, will rally under the banner of Jesus as brothers and sisters. That's a miracle. That's shalom. So, so these things, friends, will happen. That's why we're here, because we believe that Jesus will do what he said he's going to do. But what I want to do now is ask, what about the here and now? Uh, can these be more than just a distant reality that we hope for? But does, any, does Jesus bring his shalom into our strife and conflict and injustice here and now? The two New Testament texts have something to say about that. Matthew 3, 1 through 2 says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John was heralding the arrival, the advent of a king. Now, Jesus came his, and his kingdom was inaugurated on earth. We live in the time between the kingdom's inauguration and its coming in full. So Isaiah 11 is a picture of Jesus' kingdom coming in full, but we live, uh, uh, we live after the inauguration of that kingdom. We can live in the kingdom here and now. Uh, how do we do that? One word repent repent repentance is not a is not a harsh condemning word it's a beautiful word it's a beautiful thing it's it literally means change your mind and it's an invitation to bring ourselves into line with what Jesus is doing in his kingdom you know to 
to leave our own course, our own sense of what is right and wrong, our own sin, and to say, I'm going to do it Jesus' way. I'm going to be in his kingdom and do things the way he says I should do them. Uh, Jesus would have every right to bring his shalom by just wiping out all evildoers. But that would include us, right? So he gives us this beautiful invitation, come, repent, come, follow me, experience my forgiveness and my power and my love and my grace right now. All we have to do to be in the shalom that Jesus offers to, to get in on the way things should be is to admit that things aren't the way they should be with us. That's, that's all. <laughs> I am not who I should be, Jesus. I repent. I change my mind. I trust you. And that's not just how you get in the door. That's not just a one-time thing in the Christian life. That's a lifestyle. So, this is what Paul was saying in Romans 15 when he told Christians from different religious and ethnic backgrounds to accept one another. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. He's, he's quoting Isaiah 11 in, in that passage and saying, don't you remember how you know, the gospel is for all people? Jesus is the king of all nations and all people who trust him. So repent of your religious pride. Repent of your ethnic hatred and superiority and accept one another. Get in line with what Jesus is doing to make things right, to make things the way they're supposed to be. I wonder what Paul would write to our church. What, what are we not in line with, in w with what Jesus is doing, with who Jesus is? In Matthew 3, we're told that many Pharisees and teachers of the law came out to see what John was doing, and John had some pretty fiery words for them, didn't he? He said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And what that tells me is the only people who can't enter the shalom of Jesus' kingdom are the people who don't think they need to change. Because the Pharisees thought they had it all together. They were following all the rules. Maybe they had to polish up a few things on their external uh, character, but, but basically they were doing things right. And John said, no, you need to repent. And so, <laughs> the only people who can't enter shalom are those who don't think they need it. But when we kneel before Jesus, the forgiving king, and admit that we need to change, he welcomes us into his kingdom here and now. And more than that, remember how Jesus was filled with the spirit of God and filled with righteousness? He shares that with us. And so he begins to change us and make us the way we should be. 
so that we can follow him. We have access to his righteousness and integrity and faithfulness. And the most amazing thing about this king is that he came to die so that we could be made right. Paul writes in Romans 15, you know this verse, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, there's justice, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justice and peace. We can't be right with God unless we are, we can't have peace with God unless we are made right, justified. So God declares that we are made right, and then Jesus, by his Spirit, makes us actually more and more the way we should be. So friends, Jesus is making the world the way it should be right now. Not just in some distant future. Um, He's starting with his people. He's starting with us. The church should be an outpost of the kingdom uh, where where we, Jesus' followers, are, are learning to live in his shalom, where we learn to love people who are different from us, where we learn to um, uh, forgive one another, where we learn to love God, we learn to speak truth. The church is a place where all nations, former enemies, can learn to uh, love one another, where, where a former racist and a, a black man can be brothers in Christ. A place that should be safe for children. It doesn't mean that we have We have this perfectly now, does it? I mean, the church has failed big time over the years, but but we should be tasting it. We should have a taste of the shalom, the peace that Jesus brings. We should see evidence here that Jesus really is in charge. So back to the question of what weighs on you today, what... What are you carrying that is not the way it should be? Um, If it's something in yourself that needs to change, the good news is you can repent, you can receive God's forgiveness, and God will help your life to become better. Jesus will help you do that. If it's something involving other people, ask Jesus to help you Bring his shalom into that relationship. It might take a long time. It might look different than we think. But Jesus, Jesus will be at work. Never forget that Jesus is coming back. He will bring his perfect shalom to earth. All wrongs will be made right. All injustice will be dealt with. All oppression Oppressors will be crushed. And so may we live right now like that day is coming. Let's pray. Lord,